Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Janine Lobel, to our show today. Janine is a legend within the beauty industry, a serial entrepreneur, and a world-renowned celebrity makeup artist. After dropping out of high school and trying to figure out her path, Janine fell in love with makeup and quickly moved up the ranks to working on covers like Vogue and Vanity Fair, alongside celebrities like Natalie Portman and Nicole Kidman. As someone who is always saying yes and open to opportunities, Janine founded the cosmetics company Stila, which was first to market with recycled packaging, the use of illustrations, and they had a fun and unique approach that resonated with so many women in the market. She saw unprecedented growth within the first five years and had many people wanting to buy the business and she ultimately sold to Estee Lauder. Now Janine is back at it again, disrupting the beauty industry. She launched her direct-to-consumer brand, Neen, and created the first-ever subscription card, which is a new way to experience makeup and tutorials. In this week's episode, we talked to Janine about how she figured out her purpose and passion as a high school dropout and someone who was constantly getting fired from her first few jobs in her career. We also discussed how she finally realized her worth and what her superpowers were as a first-time founder when she launched Stila and the advice she has for women who are looking to make the leap. Janine also talks about her mindset and how critical it's been to her success and truly owning who you authentically are, which we dig into throughout the entire interview. Janine is such a force and is such an inspiration. I know you're going to just love this episode. Welcome to the show, Janine. Oh my God, thank you. I mean, I'm always still surprised that people want to hear from me. So I'm always like, really? (laughs) Oh my God, you are just honestly such an icon. And I know we were chatting a little bit before the interview, but you've always just been who you are, regardless of the situation and shown up as your authentic self. And I am just super excited about this interview because I think there's going to be so many learnings from your life from when you were younger to even what you're up to today. So there's a lot that we're going to talk about, but I am excited to jump in. And, you know, I'd actually love to start with one of your favorite quotes, which reads, what an interesting little prison we build from the invisible bricks of other people's opinions. What does that quote make you feel and why does it resonate with you? I think it's what an interesting prison we build ourselves from the bricks of other people's opinions. And I think that means so much to me because, you know, people often decide who we are based on their own life experiences or maybe things we've done in the past or a bunch of reasons. And I think that once you can find your authentic self and and meet her or him or, or them with kindness and compassion for your flaws and pride for the things that you have worked on as a person then you can be just be like, no, that's not me. I no, right? So you don't go down that. I think it's a really important quote, actually. Absolutely. And thank you for rephrasing it in the right way. But I'm super passionate about this because I think we can all get stuck on whether it's staying in a job because of other people's opinions, staying in a relationship, not taking that leap that you want to do for your career, you know, What are some ways that you, throughout your life, because you've been very daring and you've taken so many risks, that you've kind of put those boundaries to not let other people's opinions make an impact in your next step and the next risk you wanted to take? Yeah, you know, it's really hard to kind of chart that timeline of that. But I think a lot of things like even when like I started Stila, like I just wasn't, you know, like I'm an extremely confident person. I'm not like an egomaniac, I would say, like, I know who I am. Right. So I've always been like, well, why wouldn't I, why couldn't I, right? Like, why not? Just simply, why not? Why not me? Right. And so I think I ended up doing a lot of things in my life that it just wasn't in my wheelhouse to think that they weren't available to me. 
And I'm not quite sure how I, I mean, I sort of know how I got there, but you know, it's a lifetime of learning involved in that for sure. And we'll, we'll dig into a few of your pivotal moments in your life, but I definitely, a theme that I've kind of seen throughout your life is like you said, that confidence that you have within yourself and the fate that why couldn't you do it? Things will work out. And I think so much of your successes have come from that, which I think is super inspiring. But one part of your life I'd love to start off with and talk about is your childhood. I find it super interesting because on one hand, you called yourself a wild child, but on the other hand, you had such a strong work ethic. So I'd love to just kind of hear the dichotomy between the two and you know who you were as your younger self. Well, I grew up in Sweden. So I grew up in a very different culture. You know, it was less like the American dream, go get it. Less competitive, I think, amongst women. You know, Swedes, like, they're not your best friend in five minutes, but when they're your friend, like, I still have my best friend from first grade in my life, my teenage friends, whatever. So I kind of grew up with different programming, which I think was helpful. And then I moved to America and I was with my mom. And I was very lost, very, very unhappy, terribly unhappy, and became pretty wild. But at the same time, the only way I could have independence from my family was if I made money. So Mm. I started working when I was 14, you know, after school and on the weekends. And I sold cookies on a stick in Jirdley Square. I was a, a file clerk in a patent law firm when I was 15 years old. And they all thought that like I was a college student, right? Because yeah. if I had my own money, nobody could tell me what to do and I could spend it any way I wanted. So I think the great thing about having had garbage jobs in your life, you know, what you consider garbage jobs makes you less afraid of failing because you're like, oh, I don't love it, but I can do it. One thing, and it seems pretty evident, even from when you were younger, you know, your spirit and your passion of just diving into new things, you know, whether it was working at that law firm to make money or doing anything, hustling to just kind of like create your presence in the world and that financial freedom. What I think is actually super fascinating before you kind of discovered and fell into the world of makeup, you actually went to mime school in Paris. So tell me all about this. I am fascinated. (laughs) Well, you know, I dropped out of high school when I left San Francisco when I was 16. I went back to Sweden. I was like a punk rocker kid running around with everyone. I'm 16. Everybody's 20 and up that I'm hanging out with. We're living wherever. It was completely insane. My dad's friends are all calling him like, your kid's in trouble. Come and get her. So he did. And I went back to high school in London. And I was always like a theater kid, you know. And really, I studied mime in London and circus and all this stuff. And then I wanted to go live in Paris. So like the way I could get away with stuff was, well, at least she's in school, some kind of school. So, you know, it was really, honestly, it was really more to get away with being places without actually really studying. (laughs) Sure. And I'm just curious, I mean, are there any learnings that you learned in mime school that kind of has helped you in life? Or was there any revelations that you had at the time about yourself? Because I just think that's such an interesting environment to be in. I do a really good robot. That's pretty (laughs) much, I can do the robot. I used to do it for my kids all the time. I don't think I use any of it now. I think that I, you know, I got to learn French. I speak French fluently. I lived in France. I think that Being exposed to different languages and cultures, again, Mm. sort of informs your person, you know, you're more open to difference, you're more used to difference, you're used to being. I remember at one point I cracked a joke, right? And I was at a dinner and somebody looked at me and goes, Janine, you're funny. Like they didn't know I was funny because by the time I could come up with the joke in my head, it was always too late, right? They were on to the next conversation. And so I like lived without my personality while I was learning this language. And it's like, if you've ever been bullied, you're not going to bully. If you've ever felt different, you're going to accept people that you're going to open, you're going to see that person in the room and be like, Hey, come sit with us. Mm -hmm. It teaches you humility and kindness, really. And so my experiences were more. Mime is not useful, people, just to be clear, if your kids (laughs) want to go to mime school. But I did learn other things. 
Yeah. And I think just the exposure, like you said, being in school and then moving to Paris and just being that different person has been a huge quality to the successes of your business because you've really owned the uniqueness. And that's why consumers really resonate with you. So you're in Paris, you're living this life, you're learning the language. What was really your first foray into makeup? Because was it on your radar growing up? You know, how did that happen? Well, so at one point... After Paris, I moved back to London and my best friend from high school in London had just completed a course at a makeup school. And I was like, what, wait, what? You can be, what, what, there's a job like this? So I did the course, it was like a six month course. And it was a great school because all the teachers were actually working makeup artists. So you'd be like, where's Vicky today? And they'd be like, oh, she's doing a music video. So you were learning kind of really current stuff. And so that was, I was like, okay, I need to know how to do something. Like I I went to college. I lasted two months. That wasn't for me. So I was like, okay, this is something I can do. And I, and I really enjoyed it. And so when I moved back to America, I got makeup jobs. I worked in a, a salon as the makeup artist, right? And then went to makeup counters and went on from there. But yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. She did it. So I wanted to do it. I love it. And, you know, there's two questions that pop in my mind. And the first one is, What were your parents' thoughts about you kind of jumping around in different careers and trying new things? Were they supportive of these different avenues you were doing? Well, I I tell this story often, so I'm sorry if you've heard it before, but I think my mom was just like scared, you know, to say anything to me back then. And my dad was actually pretty cool. My dad's very smart, like extra smart, speaks like five languages. He was successful and came from... Queens, you know, and made his way through the world and still lives in Europe. And I remember I had had, I had a job one summer at some boutique in Soho and I got fired because, you know, I was out every night partying and dancing and up, you know, so of course I got fired. And he said to me, sweetheart, you see that guy over there with the hot dog stand? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, there's nobody standing over him telling him, you know, spread the mustard like this for maximum time saving. This is the relish for maximum cost reduction. You know, he's naming all these examples like of having Mm. a boss. And he said, honey, you just need your own hot dog stand. Wow. And that was like the first time I really got that. Although I'm an extremely hard worker, I'm not necessarily a great employee, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, so I need to have my own thing here. Okay. And so I give my dad a lot of credit for that. Yeah. And sometimes like, you might have this entrepreneurial spirit, but it's not until somebody plants that seed that it's possible for you that kind of turns on the light bulb of, okay, maybe that's why I'm not fitting into all these jobs and whatnot. And, you know, I'm curious, you mentioned early on in the interview that you're more naturally confident person. You're working at different makeup counters. I think it was at Chanel that you were fired. Did you ever question your ability as a makeup artist when you were kind of getting fired from these different jobs? No, because it all had to do with BS, like, too many smoke breaks, not wearing pantyhose, not being on time, you know, like things like that. But like I sold more makeup than anybody because I was good at it. And so the women would just be like, oh, wow, I love it. I'll take everything, you know, which is the goal of, a, you know, you have goals you have to meet. But I think it's interesting, you know, to go back to the thing my dad said, it's like so many people pick jobs because of parental pressure or ideas about what they're supposed to do or be, or they've spent, you know, they're in debt from this college education, but there's no wrong place. Like you just end up where you're supposed to be. And and then you, sometimes you need courage to make a change or, you know what I mean? It's like, don't ever look at anything as a mistake. It's on the path, you know? Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. 
women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now, anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening. And now let's get back to the show. Absolutely. And I think the biggest thing that also stands out for you is you had pretty incredible work ethic. So before we go into Stilla, I'd love to just kind of hear you were working at these makeup counters, but you really made a name for yourself. You were doing music videos and whatnot, and that's a very competitive market. So what do you think really allowed you to stand out and really move up the ranks quickly for someone that was more new in the industry? Well, I think it was the smaller industry. Just like me, people didn't realize that this was a career you could have. And I think because, you know, I had been taking care of myself for so long in a lot of ways and making my own money and living off without my family. I was, you know, although I was never very punctual, I was an extremely hard worker and I never complained. And they'd Mm. be like, can you cut his hair? I'd be like, sure. And I would just cut the guy's hair, you know, like never gone to hair school. And I just was like, I was extremely hardworking and I was very good at assessing a situation and being like, okay, so like my first music video, oh, when the music stops and they're not lip syncing anymore, that's when I run in and put powder on and run Mm -hmm. back out and don't take too long because they need to roll again and watching how other people did things and just really good at like kind of imitating in a way. It seems like, you know, you're a good observer and you kind of used your common sense when they were like, cut this hair. You're like, okay, I'm just going to figure it out and see the way somebody did it and then do it. Or like, I know you mentioned once in another interview that they wanted you to do aging makeup and you've never done that before. Right. And you're just like, all right, let me figure it out. Like, I just love that mentality of you jumping right in because I think that's how opportunities come in front of you. And one thing that I think is super interesting is before you started Stilla, you mentioned that you didn't know this person or this entrepreneur lived inside of you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's so many people listening who don't think that maybe they're cut out to be an entrepreneur or have what it takes. So tell me more about what you mean by that quote and why you didn't really look at yourself as an entrepreneur before starting Stilla. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if I knew that word. Honestly, right? Like, I don't think that was something I knew even again. Like, I I end up in these situations because I just say, sure, right? And I just didn't know that I was good at making makeup, good at making colors, good at getting people to do things, good at designing, good at branding, good at sitting down and going, well, what do women want? Like, what do I hate about the beauty Mm. industry and how do I want to do it differently? And so, 
all these things kind of converged and evolved through time. Wow, I can understand a spreadsheet. Holy shit. You know, like, you know, we didn't have Google then. Like now you can Google anything and learn it. You know, you can put a new engine in your car if you want to. It's amazing, right? A lot of that had to be getting on the phone, asking people. And, And I think that that is what's so great about taking risks and stepping out of the should have, I'm supposed to's and getting out of your comfort zone and and challenging yourself in any area of your life, because you do find that you are different than your idea of yourself. And sometimes that's maybe in a painful way. And sometimes it's in a positive way. But I go back to that piece of like, you have to be compassionate with yourself in order to be able to accept the painful parts and look at them honestly and make peace with them and keep moving. Right. That is super interesting, Janine. I'd love to kind of expand on that a little bit more. Like you mentioned, it's so important to be compassionate about yourself for all those painful parts. And I think anytime you're doing something new, you're kind of a beginner, you're not the expert, you can be really tough on yourself. So can you unpackage that a little bit more about what you mean by that? Because I think it's super powerful. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like people who are never wrong, right? Do you know people who are never wrong? And it used to drive me crazy with people, right? I'd be like, God damn, like, can you ever be wrong? And I realized it's because being wrong, again, it's the lack of compassion. They have an idea of themselves as the smartest or the most knowledgeable or the expert on. So being wrong is an admission that you're not this idea of yourself and it's extremely painful, right? Whereas the person that can be like, oh yeah, I I screwed that up. What do I do now? Can actually learn, right? They can learn, well, God, I'm not so good at that. How do I get good at that? Do I read something? Do I ask my friend who's good at it? Do I Google? Like, what are the things I need to do, right? But if you're so stuck in who you are and always being right, you're stuck. Yeah. You're 100% stuck. And that's just like one area. It's just one part. And that extends to so many parts of ourselves. And relationships with mm-hmm. others, work, career. Somebody asked me the other day, we were interviewing people to do our tutorials, right? And and so I spoke to this one young woman who we ended up casting, who I loved. And I was like, at the end of asking her questions, I said, so do you have any questions for me? And she said, well, tell me something that was hard or like a failure or whatever. And I was like, you know, I just don't look at things that way. I love that. And the most important thing I can say, if you can learn who's talking to me right now, is this my authentic, true self that wants to live, learn that's open? Or is it my trauma informed self who chooses things because they're familiar? I don't think I deserve them. This is all I know. And that journey of figuring out where your thoughts are coming from is invaluable. Mm. If you get that down, you will not make mistakes. You will go where you need to go. A hundred percent. I swear. I promise. Oh, I have goosebumps. I think that's so powerful. And I think it's such an important skill set to have in your life because like you mentioned, if there's a challenge or if something doesn't work out, which is literally like every day as an entrepreneur, things aren't going to work out the way you want it. You can have this fear-based mentality of like, I'm not good enough. I need to get it perfect. Or like, maybe this business isn't the right fit and I'm going to quit. But the successful entrepreneurs like you, you know, you have that growth mindset and you stop those thoughts and it's more of an opportunity to reflect and think about what can I learn Mm -hmm. from here? And like you said, initially, not being so hard on yourself for being like, perfect. Like there's no such thing as perfect. It's okay to be like, I fucked up. I'm not expected to be the smartest person in the room. And you just go with the punches and you figure out the right next step. And I'm just, I really am just so inspired about your journey because you have done that even from like your very early twenties. And, you know, I want to go back to Stilla. So tell the audience more about how that idea kind of came about, because I also think it was super serendipitous. Well, actually I had a partner who was a, a woman I knew socially. And she wanted to start a makeup line because she was opening a boutique in West LA. So she asked me if I wanted to help her. And I, you know, I was like, sure. Okay. And I went over to her house and she had what's called private label, which is all prefab product. And then you kind of like, okay, I'll take that compact and I'll stamp my name on it. Right. And I was like, Hmm, that's all right. But I don't want to do that. Like if I'm going to do this, I want to make stuff. Right. So Together, we went to this big lab and waited for months. And it turns out they didn't lift a finger for us. They just kept giving us 
the yeah, yeahs, as I like to call it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the receptionist there felt like, I think she took pity upon us. And she's like, call this woman. She has a smaller lab. We're like, all right. So we call her. Her name was Ida. And she was an, quite an amazing woman. She had been a Revlon chemist for years. She had escaped Hungary way back mm-hmm. in the day. She had walked for like two months to get out of Hungary. So, I mean, this woman had had a tough life. And I have a deceased Hungarian grandmother. So, you know, she loved that about me. And she was like, I'm going to make it for you, Janine. I'll just make it in the lab in small batches. And I was like the only one that was allowed to come in there and make my own colors. And Ida helped me start this business. And then it was like, so the next part was packaging. And what was available to me was like ugly two-part screw cap circular plastic. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So I did research and I found a guy who made paper mailing tubes. And I was like, do you want to make cosmetic packaging with me? He was like, sure. And then we had like this shoebox literally of samples. And we had a friend of a friend who knew someone at Barney's and the buyers were in town. Joyce Avalon, who's now, I think she's the head of NARS or something big at Shiseido. And this woman, Heidi Mannheimer. And I walk in with my little samples and they're like, we're obsessed. Wow. That was was it. I love it. And I think you started, I believe you guys put in 40,000 in the business starting out. 20 each. 20 each. So all these innovations that you did from finding the right partner to make smaller quantities, creating new packaging. Do you think it was a function of because you couldn't afford also to do what everybody was doing and the runs? Or did you just want to be different and you knew that early on? You know, another Janineism is necessity is the mother of all invention. Yeah. You know, like it was because, you know, I would go to food stores like Dean and DeLuca and look at paint stores. That's how I came up with the little aluminum tubes that we used to have. Like I would look outside of my own cosmetic field to go find things that I could bring in smaller quantities in. And then it became sort of like where people came to us, packaging people would be like, we want to give it to you first because they knew if we used it, everybody, like we were the first to do that felt tip lip pen. Oh, and I did not know that, Janine. Really? Yeah. So, and you know, when it wow. does, you know, makeup that's in a sponge where you touch the sponge. Yes. We did, we did the first one of those because all those people came to me and I'd be like, all right, just give it to me for three months before anyone else gets it. Cause you know, cause I know they're going to get copied by somebody. So why not have them get the business? Right. So to this day, I'm still working with the people I worked with back then because Nice does actually go a long way. And fair. I'm not going to force you to be exclusive to me. Like, forget it. Go make more money. You make more money, you get better machines. My cost of goods goes down. It's just logic, you know? And I think that's actually super interesting because some people kind of keep a lot of aspects of their business to themselves. And they think like, okay, if there's another competitor that comes in and copies me, it's going to take away from my sales and what I'm trying to build. Like, how do you think about competition? Because it seems like you have a very abundant mindset, which has only benefited you over the years. I think we're taught in this country, there's this sort of weird, like between women, for example. So here's the boyfriend pie. So if you get a slice of the boyfriend pie, even though it's not my kind of dude or whatever. There's one less slice out there for me. There's this idea of finite success, finite, Mm -hmm. your dreams being met, finite. And so we're so busy focusing on each other, which is just all a big distraction from what we really need to be doing as women, right? We're all just so busy. People like picking on people for getting Botox or not getting, but like, we're all so distracted with this nonsense, right? I don't know where it's coming from, but we're buying into it that we're just not actually focusing, right? And I hate the kind of expression scarcity mentality because there is true scarcity and there are people who, because of how they're living or had to live, of course they have a scarcity mentality. You know, I don't have food insecurity. I don't have any of these issues, right? So I'm just talking within the norm here, right? Mm -hmm. Not the extremes in life. And I think that it's really damaging. I remember years ago, somebody said with Stila, they were like, so are you going after, I don't know if they said NARS or Lorac or some other indie beauty brand, their customer. I was like, pfft. 
No, yeah. I'm going after Lancome. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? Like, why am I going to fight with my brothers and sisters, right? Like, I'm going for the big guns, you know? And also, but even I am, you've probably heard me say this maybe, or see, I always say, I don't need to be smarter than other people. I don't need to prove that I'm smarter than this mm. one. I just need to be smarter than the problem that I'm facing. That's where I get excited when I can fix problems because, you know, there's always somebody prettier, skinnier, more successful, smart, and there's always somebody less, right? So this comparison goes up and it goes down, right? So just stay out of it. Your story is your story, their story is their story, and just focus on yourself and learn from other people, certainly. But don't judge. That's so powerful. And did you always have that mentality, even like the early days of building Stilla, of not comparing yourself to others? Is that how you were even wired early, early in the business? Yeah, I think so. I I just ignored all the noise, right? It's like even with like having sustainable packaging. I mean, we our compacts were recycled paper. Who did that? Our foundations were aluminum tubes. Our powders were aluminum shakers. But we did it without bashing. Like, we're better than Mac because we don't use plastic. Like, it wasn't about that. Like, let them do their thing. I I don't care. They do whatever you want. You guys are awesome, right? But this is what I want to do. And I don't want to berate anyone. I don't get on my soapbox about it. It's just my little quiet contribution. Yeah. And you're kind of like just living your truth, your values, you were loving what you were doing. And that is, you know, what really opened up so many opportunities for you. And if I remember correctly, when you launched Stilla, was that when you were pregnant with your first kid? No, he was like, or he was young. He was like six months old when we launched. I don't know how to do that, but yeah. (laughs) I know. I mean, honestly, Janine, it's so interesting because so many women on this podcast started their businesses either when they were pregnant or when they had little kids. Honestly, it's one of the most surprising themes that I see. And you mentioned like, I don't know how I did that, but how did you do it? I'm sure you took your kids every or your son at the time everywhere, but what did that look like in the very early days? Well, I think there's two interesting things about it, right? So I think, and this is just my story. I always tell people, I had my son when I was 29, right? After 29 years, of only thinking about myself and my feelings, yeah. I was so relieved to focus on somebody else, right? So having a little kid at the time just gave me a lot of perspective on things that could have been like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Our lipsticks came in wrong, right? But when you have this being that you're that's keeping you up half the night that you have to maintain life for, it makes everything right-sized, right? For me, anyway. Yeah. So for me, it was actually a blessing. It didn't take away. It just made me better, made me more efficient, made me more conscious of how I was using my time, when I was using my time, not wasting my time, other people's time, and just being like, it made me more like this because I had him. I love that. And I think it just goes to your perspective of looking at the benefits of it and not thinking like, oh, I can't do one thing because I have the other. And, you know, it's like, look, even you reflecting back on the time of it just made me a better person. And the fact that it gives you perspective, like that is such a beautiful thing because sometimes we can all get stuck in the nitty gritty of business. But when you have perspective, it's so helpful and we don't have kids yet, but I try to go out and see family and just get out of my daily routine to get perspective or else you can just go crazy getting stuck on the day-to-day little things, which don't really matter in the grand scheme of everything. So Yeah, but it, 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 and it doesn't have to be a kid, right? There, like I was yeah. talking to a friend the other day and I was like really in my head about a bunch of work stuff and she runs a food pantry in Astoria. And at the end of the conversation, I was like, Mary, I, I I need to thank you. I, I just needed to, not in a way to say I'm better, my life is so much better, but I just needed a reminder about how much food insecurity is out wow. there right now. You know, and it was just like, Janine, you know, take it back, take it down, girl. And there are many ways we can gain perspective. And I think it's really important to gain perspective, not by, well, I'm in such a better boat. It's not about, again, I, I really try to stay out of comparisons, right? But just like empathy, yeah. empathy. And, and mm-hmm. it, it, that's the place that I find true perspective. I love that. And also there could be so many problems lingering or just things you're thinking about in business. And sometimes I have to remind myself, 
I get to do this. I get to create a business and impact women all over, mm-hmm. you know, the world and just shifting the mentality of just like I get to do these things also is really helpful. So I think perspective yes. is so big. I mean, two people it's like when they pour that thing where they pour a glass of water halfway and they're like, what do you see? And some people say, I see a half full glass of water. And some people say, I see a half empty glass of water, right? Which is just like a dumb little thing, but it's true. It's like how you meet things. Shit happens. And I'm, I'm again, I'm back to within the norm. I'm not talking about the extreme traumas and horrendous things that can happen, but yeah. within this sort of normal range. And Five people deal with it so completely differently, right? And and that's your choice. Like the shit that happens to you is not your choice. I know this, but it's what you do with it. Mm-hmm. How do you integrate it? What do you learn from it? How do you feel it? How do you make peace with how you feel it? Like all those things are so different person to person, right? I was thinking about something you said earlier. And one of the things I always tell my kids, again, within the norm here, the kiss of death for me in relationships mm. is when I say things like, well, I would never do that. So what? So what? So for me, I'm not a liar. Like I don't like to lie. I like to tell the truth. I know people that lie all the time. I know they're lying. I love them. It's fine. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It doesn't make them bad because my values, somebody else, again, within the norm here, somebody else's values don't have to be my I don't value being on time enough, right? Mm -hmm. So, but somebody else that can mean she's so disrespectful. She's this, she's that, she's this, she's that because she's late, right? So all those projections of your own values on other people is where you get a lot of conflict, I Mm. find. Yeah. And sort of saying, well, maybe that's not so important to her. Yeah. Okay. Now I know this. So how do I navigate that? Because I really care about this person. Yeah. Giving them like the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, I have this topic that just came to mind. You seem just like such a evolved person that's able to really like shift through your different thoughts. Do you see a therapist or do you have any mentors or coaches around you? Or are you just naturally perceptive in the way you think through certain things? Well, I have a therapist. I only see her once a month now. I mean, I've been in therapy and institutions many, many times in my life. And I've learned a lot from that. And I'm very kind of self-taught, you know, like I meditate, I read a lot. I listen. I really listen to people Mm. and I'm very intuitive, like in the extreme, probably. Like I was at work the other day and woman was pregnant. I was like, oh, she's coming soon. She's like, how'd you know it was a girl? I was like, that's me. You know, like, you know, like I, I always guess the baby. I'll call you. (laughs) But you know what I mean? So I think I meditate, you know, meditation is really where I've learned. I've done cognitive behavioral therapy, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Uh, It's really taught me the main thing we say in meditation is notice. Yeah. Notice, notice what you're thinking about that. Right. Mm -hmm. Then you go from notice to, well, I can let that one float, you know, in daily life or like, why do I react that way? Well, I react that way because my parents X, Y, Z, or I react that way because of blah, blah. Do I want to react that way? Not really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was having this, my poor son, right, was living with me for a few months this summer and he's older and he's so messy. It's like insane, right? But that's him. He's yeah. very bright, very messy. And I'd walk in the kitchen and the drawers would be open, the dishwasher's not this, and my brain would go into all this dialogue, right? Like, this is just so disrespectful. And he comes home like this whole, you know, five minutes, my brain is like having a ping pong match with itself. And I started to practice. What does it matter? What does it matter? I can just close the dishwasher. It's not that important. Right. So when things get me like that, that's just a dumb example. But I just say to myself, what does it matter, Janine? You're projecting all this shit onto somebody that just forgot to close a drawer. Yeah. And it's not a dumb example because I think that applies to so many people. Like sometimes your mind can just go off. And like you were saying, ping pong, it could be about anything. Mm -hmm. Like now I've become more aware of my thoughts. And sometimes I'm like, my gosh, I am so mean to myself sometimes. Like it's actually ridiculous. It's insane. insane. Like, so Right. And I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of working through like, okay, stopping those thoughts. Luckily, I'm now aware of it. But it's just fascinating to see how many times I'm just so hard on myself and it doesn't help any situation. So it's just, you know, yeah, just it's really pain. I tell my daughter, one of them all the time, I'm like, 
you would never speak to anyone yeah. the way you speak to yourself in your head ever. It wouldn't occur to you, right? And it's like, again, something you need to have compassion for. Wow, somewhere I learned that I'm supposed to be like this. And so when I don't do that, I feel like X, Y, Z. And you know what? I mean, the way I sort of learned how to manage intrusive, I call them intrusive thoughts, was to say, that's not true. Just that one thought, Janine, you're so beep, beep, beep. No, that's not true. So practice that. I love that. I will. And I think what you said also is like having compassion with yourself, because even when you do notice a thought, sometimes you can be like, oh, God, why am I doing this again? Like, I thought I worked on this. You know, you can go down another rabbit hole, but oh, I yeah, love how you... Right? <laughs> Your mind it's and like ego a pinball machine. Like, where's the ball going? <laughs> Where are we today? Okay, yeah. we're in this dark hole. Yeah, oh but also, again, we are works in progress from day one to our last day. And it's like grieving. Grieving, you get a little better at managing it. Something pops up. Somebody else dies. You feel all the other grief. Like it's all intertwined and it's a process. Like today's not such a good self-love day. I'm noticing that. That's it. And it's okay. It's not a finite thing. Like we're not an accomplishment. We're so, America, we're so goal-driven. And we have so many social constructs about how it's supposed to be and achieving and this like, I kind of personally, I mean, on one hand, I believe that you can go do whatever you need to do, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe you'll find something else along the way. People call me with their ideas all the time and I'm thinking, well, that's going to be a tough one. But I would never say that to somebody. I'm like, okay, let's figure out how to get you there, right? Yeah. But there's also this idea that, you know, it's like that one kid from the project who goes to Harvard and then that kid is lauded like everybody else is supposed to be able to do that at the same time. Well, that kid had a particular set of circumstances that thank goodness helped that person get there, right? Whereas it's held up like anybody can get off a skid row. Anybody can quit drugs. Anybody. It's like, no, it's not the case. It's a series of things that happen for that particular person. So it's so easy to feel like a failure because even like I worry sometimes with the whole female entrepreneur thing, like I want to be here for people. I want to hopefully inspire them. I want them to know that there's more that goes on than what you see for somebody. And I want you to believe in yourself, but like, I don't want you to feel like you're failing because you're not there or here or, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of a, all these things are double edged swords in a way, weird way. Yeah. And you know, what comes to mind with that is I'm fast forwarding a little bit with Stila is you ultimately kind of hit the definition of success in terms of, you know, you started the business in five years, you sold to SD Lauder, like it literally seems like a dream playbook of everything. I'm curious to go into the story of just how that interaction was with, you know, SD Lauder buying you, but as an entrepreneur who's been the thick of everything and quote unquote made it, Did you think that would feel the way it did when you sold the business? Because I think so many people look at that as the epitome of I'm successful and I've made it. And I'd love to hear as someone who's lived it, what it really felt like to get to that point. It felt amazing. (laughs) There is no question. I mean, there is no question. Like I turned into Oprah after I sold. I bought cars for people. I gave people like I did so much with my I gave all our employees money from the sale. And it felt amazing. It felt amazing. I went to three years of high school, right? And I ended up accidentally making this makeup line. Like It was like, holy shit. There's no doubt that I was proud of myself. I was proud of everybody who worked with us. It was great. It was great. And it was fun to be Oprah for a couple of weeks too. (laughs) And so just a couple of weeks. So like, does it kind of go down like after a month, two months? Like what did that feel like? Like really, we, we sort of really horned in and we sort of created this formula so that every warehouse worker, like, oh, she's been here three years. She makes this much. Okay. We're going to give her a bonus of this. Like it it took a while to work it all. It didn't go downhill, but it was like that initial woohoo, you know, (laughs) kind of thing. I bought myself like a, some fancy helmet lang coat that I would never have bought oh, myself. <laughs> you know, there was just like a few moments I I had to have of, of like, I took all my friends on a boat in yeah. the Caribbean, like shit like that. So that was kind of the initial, but I, I'm still happy about it. I'm still happy okay. about it. I'm still proud of it. I'm proud of everybody who worked with us. I'm proud of that brand. And, you know, 
it sort of really does speak to that whole idea of what messages are you telling yourself? Because by all rights of that type of thinking, I should never have done this. I should never have thought that I could do this ever. You know, I didn't have the education and, you know, had my issues, you know, all these things. So I find people are often like, well, once I get here, then I'm going to try it. It's like, no, 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 just no, it doesn't work like that. You just feel things out. You know, it's like having a bunch of internships to help you identify what job you actually want to like, oh, that looks cool. What they're doing over there. Let me go look, let me look Mm -hmm. closer. Let me figure out if I like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you know, I'm curious because I think you built Stilla from my understanding of not with a goal, like you're going to sell it at this time. You truly enjoyed the journey and the process. And everybody says that, but I think you have to truly live it. I'm sure there was hardships or difficult times, but looking back at that moment, do you think you were really enjoying the day-to-day or did you have some seasons of this is a really tough couple months and then that would transpire and you know it would be a better few months? Like, How was that time? I don't remember those times that much, to be honest. I really just, I mean, we just kind of, you know, we went from Barney's to Nordstrom's to Saks. We had a deal with Shiseido in Japan. We were the second makeup brand in Space NK. Yeah. We just think things went really well. I mean, if we had issues, it was more like, oh, the tubes aren't coming on time. What are we going to do instead? (laughs) You know, things like that. Sure. But there was never a point where we thought we were going to go down the drain or we're in trouble ever. So I don't recall anything being like that. I'm very like, I recall mainly the positive things. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, you kind of forget. I have that quality too, even with my husband. We'll have a little tiff about something. I forget it the next day. And he's like, you're just so good at like putting it past, you know? And I think in business, Mm -hmm. sometimes you just, there's so much happening. You just kind of like need to forget it and just focus on all the positives. And you guys had so much momentum that kept you guys like forward facing Mm -hmm. and goal oriented. But, you know, I want to make sure we also talk about what you're up to today with Neen. And I'm curious, you know, looking at you and just the type of person you are, I'm sure you had so many ideas and different opportunities from when you sold Stilla. Like, what was it about? you taking the lead and doing Neen now, which is your second business, because I'm sure there were so many other things that were percolating in your mind from post-sale. Yeah. I mean, I I helped turn around the Kevin Aquan brand a few years ago. That was super fun. I've always had like a squillion ideas about what if we made something like this or like that? Nothing ever really kind of stuck to me. And I've mentored people and all that stuff over the years and, you know, help people. And I was supposed to do a line with this one and that and things happened, didn't happen, whatever. And then I started thinking about this a few years ago and I was like, God, I love the way people have become like all the start with the YouTube tutorials and TikTok, Instagram, all these things of people doing their own makeup, showing like, I'm not a fan of like, there's so much gauze or filtering and Contra- like you can't wear it like it's cute on film, but I don't know if you want to walk out like that. But, <laughs> yeah. but there were so many real men, women doing their makeup and teaching people how to do makeup that I found really interesting because I can show you how to do makeup, right? But it's harder for you to recreate it. Whereas you learning from somebody like you is more interesting. So I really liked that. And I was like, well, how do I do that? And then I really love this idea of like, if you watch a tutorial right now, they're like, okay, I have Chanel peach number 62. And you're like, well, I don't have that. Yeah. Do I have anything like it maybe, you know? So the idea that you could do a tutorial and use the product in the actual tutorial and then pick different ways to try that product, the colors, and then just buy the stuff that you really, so you're like, you're trying, you're learning, you're stepping out of your comfort zone. I, I can't wear green. Oh, wait, what? This green looks amazing on me, right? Yep. And having those experiences and then just buying the full size of that instead of over consuming. You know, I always have the dumb shit and consumer goods telling you not to consume so much, but more intentional consumption. Like, oh yeah, I can wear this. I will wear it. I'm not going to just buy a green where it wants to throw it in my drawer. And it was actually the wrong green for what I was trying to do or whatever. So it was all of these things combined, this community, much like I have a community. I have the same community in my home that I kind of do on those cards and designing a new kind of package, you know, because, you know, I love me some design work. 
Absolutely. And just for people listening, I would love for you to just kind of walk through what these cards are, because I think they're brilliant, especially for me as someone who I don't take a lot of risks with my makeup. And it's not because I'm not open to it. It's just more of the time consuming aspect of like, okay, I got to sit down, I got to buy all these things, it might not work out, then Mm -hmm. I have to return it like, I don't have time for that. But can you share more about the magic of these cards that you have? Because I think it's super, super unique. So the cards are basically like, it's like a extra large postcard size, right? And it's got one face on the front and four on the back representing five skin tones. And they're all wearing the same five products. So usually like three that are for the eye and one of those doubles is a highlighter and then a cheek and a lip, right? So you look at the car and they're all wearing them five different ways. So one's got like the smoky version, one's got the daytime version, one's got the artsy graphic version. And so you look at the card and you're like, huh, I, oh my God, I'd love to do a smoky emerald eye with silver. God, I've never done that before. So you just scan the QR code next to that person's face and their tutorial pops up using those exact products and showing you very simply how to use them. But the really beautiful part is like in the tutorial at some point, usually at the end, the people tell you a little bit about themselves and their stories, right? So some stories are like, I make fuzzy art. Some are mental health journeys. Grace is a comedian. Madrona, their Native American artist, talks about their life in Nevada and life on the reservations. And so it's like you're learning something about these people too. So that was really important to me. I love that. I love, no, I'm a big fan of what you've built and the brand. And I'm curious, we hear this a lot from women on my podcast who have sold their first business. They sometimes have the expectation that their second business needs to be just as successful, even more successful. Did you have any thoughts like that? Or that's not really how you went into building Neen? No, it just feels more, what do they always say? Compare and despair, right? It's just more fluid than that, right? It's just, this is where I am now. These are the people I'm bringing into it. These are the people I'm nurturing. These are people teaching me. And we're just going on this journey. The thing for me is like, I grew up again in Sweden where, you know, you don't show off. You don't talk, speak highly of yourself. It means you're bragging, all these things. But I really know how to make really good makeup, right? Like that is something for whatever reason I'm really good at. And so I think I've made clean products that are really phenomenal. So like next level, like better than non-clean products. So I feel like that's the truth of what I'm doing, you know, Mm -hmm. and and that's just going to keep carrying us along where again, wherever we're supposed to be. Right. Absolutely. And I, I like the mystery of the journey. I don't need to look to the end, you know? Yeah. You know, I can't remember who said this, if it was like Tony Robbins or something or Joe Dispenza, he was saying, you know, when you're a kid, this just reminded me with your last comment, but he was saying, you know, when you're a kid, you're so excited, you wake up for like a field trip because it's like the unknown and like, you can't wait for it. If it's like Christmas, you wake up and it's like, as adults, we don't wake up and think, okay, what magic does life have for us? Like that enthusiasm isn't there. And I just love that because like you were saying, you're just staying true to creating great products, enjoying the process and really staying open to like what the magic will be. And I think that's Mm -hmm. like such a beautiful way to think about the unknown. And I just, I love that. So that just came to mind when you were talking about like how you're thinking about Neen and building the business. Yeah, I I think sometimes, I mean, you have to stay true to yourself, but sometimes when you're too rigid, it's like, so you have girlfriends who are like with their freaking checklists about who they want to date can't have this, can't, you can't work capizios, can't this, can't that, can't, you know, what, what, you know, this list and they can't see the person in front of them because they're so busy referencing the list. Right. So like, if I have too much, I mean, I have a vague idea, but like, I have to be open and listen and see, because if I'm so busy, like, no, we're supposed to do it this way. I'm going to miss shit, you know? And again, it's the magic and the discovery of the journey. That's part of the interesting part. I love that. I love that. Well, Janine, I want to end on one last question. You mentioned you mentor so many people and that's something that you've truly enjoyed. What do you think are maybe some of the top three mistakes that first-time entrepreneurs do in their businesses that you've seen with just people that you've chatted with? Well, if they're doing well, sometimes their ego, which is completely natural in your 20s, right, can get a hold of you and you start deviating from the kind of 
DNA or authenticity of what you were creating in the first place. And it's totally natural. We all get puffed up and, you know, full of ourselves at different points in our life. Right. But you have to not to keep that in check because you start making these grandiose decisions instead of, right. So that's, yeah. I would say one thing. And then the flip side of that is like listening to too many people's opinions. My kids have this kid book called the bad case of stripes. And it's this girl and like, she doesn't want to admit she likes lima beans. So somebody says polka dots. So she turns into polka dots, stripes. She turns into stripes and she's just turning into everything that everybody else is telling her to be because she's too embarrassed to admit that she likes lima beans. Right. So it's the same thing. Like don't have a bad case of stripes, you know, like where somebody says go over there and you just rush over there, rush over there, you know, like really have people in your life who you can bounce stuff off, who you trust like mentorship is not about telling somebody what to do. Mm. I've discovered it's about helping them find their own voice. Like I can know they're saying, I was talking to this one person the other day. She's like, should I use work with this one or that one? And I, my brain's like this one. Hello. <laughs> right. But it don't, no brainer, but <laughs> I'm also outside. Right. So I just keep having the conversation. till she ends up with that same she gets there herself, right? That's true mentorship is mm -hmm. helping because that's how you build confidence. That's how you help teach somebody to trust their own voice and have critical thinking about a situation, the back and forth, you know, da -da -da -da, Dave, devil, angel, whatever it is. So that's really important. And people that you trust, you know, don't insert yourself in somebody else's journey. It's not about mm -hmm. what I would do. It's about me helping you find what to do and what you're comfortable with. So I think that's really important. And please help other people. Just because you haven't gotten here doesn't mean you don't have something to offer somebody else. Because mm. really, when you can show up for other people, you don't have to have made it to show up for other people. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's how you learn too. And mm -hmm. give back along the way. You'll feel better about what you're doing 100%. And you'll learn more. Yeah, no, that's fascinating because I've only been a year and a half in my entrepreneurial journey and I have this podcast and I interview incredible women like you. And I recently just started sharing more about my journey, but I had that mentality of I'm not going to help because I'm still figuring it out. And then sometimes you underestimate yourself because you're going through things in the early stage business that might help somebody else who's in that same position. So there's no right time to give back and share whatever knowledge. So I think that's a really good point. And you know, another thing that you mentioned, and I think because I get this question a lot of like, how do I find mentors? Who's the right fit? And what you mentioned in terms of finding somebody who is asking the right questions and helping you critical think, I think is so key because mm -hmm. that skill set as an entrepreneur, especially when you're always making decisions, sometimes I don't know which way to move. But when somebody can ask the right questions, I'm slowly training myself of, how to evaluate, which is so important as a founder. So I just want to underscore that because I think if you're able to find somebody in your life who can ask the right questions and be the right coach and not insert an opinion is game changing. 100%. And also, but it doesn't even have to be some fancy mentor, right? Like you can go yeah. to a friend and say, say you're just trying to start like your custom postcard business. I don't know, you know, on Etsy, I don't know, whatever. You yeah. need to go to, go to your friend that's a Virgo, preferably, and say, <laughs> I need an accountability check-in person. Yeah. These are the two things I'm supposed to do every day. Can you text me at 8 p.m. and just see if I've done them or not? Or whatever. You yeah. know, like find somebody to help you. Like I have this weird little pad, I don't know where it is, where it's like goals and things. And I'll write things down when I'm just getting overwhelmed. With, you know, because I also have like five kids whose lives I'm running over here, you know, like yeah, getting everything so I don't forget and I don't feel bad that I forgot or I don't screw it up. But you can also pick people that just in your life, your sister, your whatever, and just be like, I need to be able to check in with somebody that I'm doing one thing a day because I got this shitty job that I hate. But if I'm doing one or two things a day that are towards my true goals, mm. you'll feel better. It takes so much to start a business, right? And, yeah. and until it's like the product or whatever it is you're making is sitting in front of you, it, it all feels like it's in the ether somewhere. And there's physical, tangible things that you can do that make you actually feel like you're doing this. And finding those things or finding somebody to help you get accountable around that is, is very helpful. And it can just be a friend. Absolutely. I mean, you're slowly building that inner confidence, doing those two small things a day mm -hmm. that eventually when the time is right for your business, you are actually ready for the opportunity, right? And you show up there. 100%. 
Yeah. And one last thing I'd love to ask you, you mentioned sometimes you can also feel overwhelmed, right? You have this new business, you have five kids. I mean, that's quite a lot. And you do like a dump on post-its or just putting down your goals. Like, How do you stay accountable for all the different things that are going on in your life? Because you have your hands quite full. Yeah. I mean, they, they joke around about it here. Like, I remember pretty much everything all the time. So most of the time, I just have a running tally in my head. Like, remember when Indiana Jones like slides under the wall before it comes cr- Like, that's me. Like, got it done. Like, I can do a lot of stuff at the same time very quickly. It's very rare that I forget to get something done. So somehow I just remember. And if, if I'm lagging, they, they text me. They're like, Janine, we need the language for the blah, blah. And I'll just get yeah. it done, you know, but I have like a weird, like I wake up really early and I'll work for a couple hours early. Then I do my own thing. And then I go into the office at 11 and then I do shit at midnight. Like I have weird, that's why I think this whole work from home thing is actually pretty awesome because people are productive in different ways at different times. Right. Yeah. Some people's not nine to five. Right. So Mm-hmm. I just get it done. Like I, I always know what I'm supposed to be doing. And, yeah. you know, I write it down to check it off. Like we're traveling this week. So I have a list because like there's piles everywhere. Oh, don't forget to bring the, the bug zapper, or, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and also whatever. It, it always works out. It, it, works it does. Out. I love it. Well, Janine, this was so much fun. Oh my gosh. I could be talking Thanks to so you much. for so long. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was awesome. I appreciate you. It was great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.